0: Well, good evening, LCM. We want to say this evening we are stirred. We are excited and happy to be with you. We are especially happy because we have pastors Matthew and Pastor Eric back in the house this
1: evening.
0: Today is Thursday, June 2nd, and our title this evening is The Savior Complex. Saints, we are enraptured. We are enthused by God's building campaign that is ongoing within this body. Our great commander is expanding the capacity of the men in this house. Does anybody notice your capacity expanding? Perhaps your manhood being maximized? Saints, he is equipping us. He is equipping us for the warfare that is ahead, and he is preparing us to win. Anyone in this house want to win tonight? Our God is ensuring that we will win. The work that we are engaged in now, however, it is not just for us. We are straining. We are asking God to help us. We are asking him to cause something to supernaturally grow, not just for our victory, because we are building an arsenal for the hands of the sons that are coming after us. Every bit of weaponry that God is equipping you with as a man right now whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60, is a weapon in the hands of a son that you can give before he's 18 years old. Saints, we want to begin with you this evening by reviewing a familiar slide, but one that you're growing in in every way. This is the holistic, masculine man of God. Saints, we began this previous Thursday by discussing dominion or ownership or lordship. What it looks like to have dominion over the land that God himself has given you. This previous Sunday, we spoke about cultivation as the Bible defines it. The way that God makes things grow. Have you been enriched by these two principles that we've covered thus far? Saints, each of these are interconnected. It is not possible to cultivate without dominion, and it is not possible to get to our topic this evening, saviors without having dominion and cultivation at work in you. But saints, you have it at work within you. Somebody raise a hand if dominion is at work in you. Raise your other hand if cultivation is now at work within you. We are excited to build this kind of holy masculinity in our midst.
1: Guys, Sunday's message, Maximizing Your Manhood, was something else. It was such a revelation to us as a body about what a full cultivation process actually looks like when it's happening. You guys remember Deuteronomy chapter 8 in that message? Man, that passage had incredible impact. We're going to begin tonight in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1 together. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Man, I want to achieve every one of those things in verse 1. Verse 2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciples his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. As a man disciplines his son, so God disciplines you. Guys, this was a perfect example of what cultivation actually looks like within our own lives, within our own homes, within our disciples, within our work environments. It works in every aspect of life that God has given us dominion over. This is what our own personal cultivation must look like in every area. Did you guys remember that God wants every single one of us to have life to the fullest, an abundant life that does not sell itself short, no half measures, no 75% measures, but a full and abundant life in every area to get into the promised land and increase in every direction. And we cannot be satisfied with anything less. God himself as a God is crazily comfortable with humbling and testing our hearts and cultivating us And there were some questions for us. Are we ourselves comfortable like God is at the cultivation for what God has given us dominion over in our own lives? God himself is comfortable with causing hunger, causing desperation to rise within what he cultivates. Are you displaying the same cultivation and comfort in your own lives? You see, he's comfortable disciplining with all sternness what he cultivates. Are you comfortable disciplining with the sternness of God in what you are cultivating, men, in this room? He's comfortable working supernaturally in their bodies, in their provision, to ensure that they do succeed with his help, and they do grow in the process. Are you guys comfortable demonstrating this same kind of supernatural cultivation? Man, man. There were a couple amazing questions at the end of this that we wanted to make sure to review again as we get into our message tonight. Do you want to leave the tender lambs alone without putting them in distress? Do you want to put the tender lambs in distress without yourself being a tender shepherd? You see, there's two sides of this coin, and we are growing it to be cultivators that have the character of God at work inside of us. I know that as I personally interacted with these questions in my own heart, in my own family. Uh, I have some major personal growth to be had in this area of cultivation. Guys, I've often been more than satisfied with current levels of cultivation in my own home, which actually renders my own household as just a fraction of the fullest potential that God always wants it to be. I can't be satisfied with that fraction. I can't be satisfied with anything less than the fullest extent that God has in store. Just like Job at the end of the story of Job, we want to reach our fullest potential in Christ, and we will not, no, we will not be satisfied with anything less than that.
0: Saints, has anybody been getting a chance to live these principles out? Look, we're family in this house. So I'm looking at a couple of young men back there, one named Bonham, one named Cho. I can see the way in which God is helping them expand their dominion through difficulty and the refreshing of the spirit in tonight's worship. This, I'm not going to leave you ladies out tonight. Stephanie lives in my house, and she's a part of our family. I'm watching that woman of God stand in what it looks like to put herself voluntarily in distress, and the comfort of God because she wants to reach her full potential. Saints, when we refuse to avoid the difficult things, but we face them, not only does God prosper us, he teaches us how to do this for others. We're beyond the days where we are simply going to reiterate doctrine, where we're going to acknowledge principles. We are warriors and an army of the living God that is learning to walk these things out. Our owner, our cultivator, the one from whom our dominion extends is sowing these seeds into our ground. We want to review this slide with you one more time. These are a progressional step. Dominion. Somebody say dominion. Dominion. Everything that we are going to teach this evening extends from your ability to reflect the throne of God. Number two, cultivation. This is the difficult and the tender part of causing things to grow, which brings us to our subject matter this evening, saviors, as the Bible defines it. See, our Lord will take the time to cultivate us again and again and again. He does this because he has dominion over us and he loves us. When these two things are at work, when you understand what it is to have dominion, and so you love what belongs to you, you're engaged in cultivating it, both the difficult and the tender, to make it reach its full potential. Man, oh man, when something threatens what you have been working so hard on, you cannot help but save it. Since we're talking about saviors this evening, we want to start out by celebrating the salvation of the Lord in 2 Samuel 22, Verses 1 through 4 to start out with. David sang to the Lord the words of this song. And when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield in the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior, from violent men, you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Can somebody say hallelujah in this house? Man, it doesn't matter what part of the week it is. There has been a part of the week that I've reflected this on where I am thankful for God's saving work, whether it's from an adversary or my own foolish decisions. We serve a God who loves to save. Look, we're looking around a room that is filled with family members. We know your lives. We know what you're doing with your children. We know when your job changes. We are thankful for the saving power at work in the Riazora household. We've seen Chris take bold steps of faith as God intervened to save him and preserve the function of his family line all by stepping out in faith in his profession. That is an intimate body an intimate body that knows what it is to interact with God on the daily level, what we do for a living, where we live, so that we might reach what he has called us to.
1: Guys, it would be so easy to, we could so easily go around the room and and point back to your original salvation. The, The moment where God originally plunged his hand down and took a hold of you. But what we wanted to do is celebrate with you for a moment his salvation, like, in the last few weeks. Like, Steve Thomas, do you have a new job opportunity, brother? Is God plunging his hand down and saving you once again recently, like this week? Come on, brother. We're talking about Spencer and what the Lord recently did with Spencer's girls and the salvation that is happening in the McLean household. Come on, we're talking about our Savior reaching his hand down and redirecting the Linton household and Linton's profession and plunging him into a salvation that shows him what he needs to do in this season of his life. Amen. Come on, we're talking about even some terrible trailer complications that we had this past week, right? <sighs> Man, that, that was some tough stuff. That felt like a pit. but guess what God did? He reached his hand down and he saved us from those complications. We're standing on a firm rock now, and our pastors made it back safely. Praise God. Go to verse 17 with us. He reached down from on high, and he took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. Yeah, but they weren't too strong for our king. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place. Listen, he rescued me because he delighted in me. God is your savior. He's saving you this week. He will save you next week. He will save you the week after because he delights in you. He delights to reach his hand down and save you from the pit. He delights to be your rescuer. He wants to do that even in deep waters. He is our support. He is our salvation, and He does it because He delights in those that He has dominion over and He who is cultivating us.
0: Oh, come on. I could see on some of your faces when you read the part that was about how He delights in me. Some of you immediately identified with it. Others of you kind of ducked your head just a little bit because you don't believe that that is the truth about you. Saints, we want to help secure you this evening. We want to help you see God rightly in this house. If you're actively engaging in what it means for him to be Lord over every area of your life, for him to have dominion over you, and you're growing and your reflection of it, if you're engaging in cultivation that has difficulty as well as his tender words, then you can have confidence that he delights in you and he wants to save you. Saints, the character of our God ought to inspire something inside of you. This evening, we want to just get straight to it. State it pashatly. You were created to have a deep desire to save the things that were entrusted to you. You were created in the image of your Father. You were created to reflect Him and His glory. Genesis 3, verse 14 says this, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, And all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. And you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. Saints, through this promise, God would bring salvation. But you need to notice. The curse of the serpent was a necessary part of this salvation. God's rescuing cannot be separated from the destruction of the serpent. Those two things, those two aspects are the components that make up God's salvation. It is the deliverance or the rescuing of his people and the crushing death of something else.
1: Guys, we're so very comfortable with calling Jesus our Savior, Jesus our rescuer. But there's another half to the story of his salvation that almost no one focuses on. Guys, do you guys want to get into that with us tonight? Yes. Jesus came to show us how to be both rescuers and serpent crushers, all at the same time, because that is exactly who he is. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61 with us, a passage that most, if not all of you in the room know by heart, but we're going to read it together and highlight something that you might not have highlighted specifically in the past. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Come on! He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Yeah. To proclaim freedom for the captives. Yeah. To release from darkness for the prisoners. Yeah. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. Yeah. And the day of vengeance of our God. Yeah. Yeah. To comfort all who mourn. Guys, in Luke chapter 4, right after his temptation... Jesus applied this passage, Isaiah 61, to himself. He is the Savior. He is the rescuer. And He is also the one proclaiming the day of vengeance of His God. He is also the serpent crusher, guys. These cannot be separated from one another, they can only work holistically together in tandem. Because you guys are so familiar with Him rescuing you again. And again and again, it's even what we celebrated as we began this message with you tonight. We want to focus on the serpent crusher part of his salvation. Turn with us to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32.
0: Somebody say there when you're there. there, 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 there. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Catch verse 34 here. Do not suppose. It's another way to say, do not assume. Or put in other words, do not stick with your own conclusion that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Guys, interact with this passage for a minute. This is in the New Testament. This is the words of Jesus. This should be in the fluffy stuff category, right? See, our God, he's in the business of rescuing those who acknowledge his name. But at the very same event, the time when he is... Acknowledging those who have acknowledged him. Oh, woe to those who have stood in the way of his salvation. See, these two things are simultaneous. There is a rescuing and a crushing that goes on that is called salvation. Wow. Salvation is the singular event. These are the two components that characterize the Gospels in every other area as God defines the day when he will save men. Enemies to the Savior come in all kinds. All shapes, all forms, little slithery creatures on the ground. And yes, sometimes even members of your own water of the womb family, as Jesus puts it so clearly. In fact, that's been a very common one for many of us. It's one of your first real tests as a Christian. Will you stand against your mother's wishes? The Savior, the Savior that is Jesus Christ, he came to proclaim the favor of Jesus. His Lord and the day of vengeance of his God. Saints, he shouted loud and clear. This was intended to be a rallying cry for those who desired to join him, to be with him, to fight alongside him as the day of his salvation came. The day of rescuing and the day of crushing the serpent and all those who stood with him.
1: Come on, somebody say hallelujah as you turn to Matthew 12. Turn a couple pages to Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. We're building here, guys. We're building. Jesus says, but if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Guys, Jesus saw the helplessness of the people. He saw their captivity. He saw the oppression that they were under. And he reached out. And he drove out demons. He healed them. He brought them into the kingdom of light. And that is an amazing aspect of his salvation. But first, he had to do something for this to work. He had to bind up the strong man by driving out first what did not belong so that he could accomplish his ultimate goal of bringing them salvation and healing. Come on. But it's not enough just to rescue from the strong man. Guys, the power itself, the power of the strong man must essentially be crushed before we get real salvation. You're either gathering with him or you're scattering. You're either with him or you're against him in this endeavor. Jesus came as a rescuer and a serpent crusher and a crusher of the strong man of the house. But his ultimate goal was always to teach you and I how to do the same exact thing.
0: We're going to go to Luke 10, and we're going to pick up in verse 17. You're going to see the way in which those who walked with Jesus began to reflect him in every way. The 70 returned with joy and said, are written in heaven. Saint, some of you have not understood this passage. I know I didn't for a very, very long time up to this point. He's describing all of the power that has been given. They're happy. They're happy about the day of vengeance because they're watching the authority of Satan fall from an area. Yeah. But you know what Jesus points to is happening at the very same moment? That their names are written in heaven. See, their salvation is being recorded in the heavens as Satan's dominion is falling. In the very same moment, they're now reflecting their father, carrying it out on the earth, and in a micro way, Satan is losing his grip while men are being saved. See, these two things always go hand in hand. We wanted to reflect on a few prophecies from this last Thursday that were in our body. One said we have been established for his glory. He has tables set in the presence of our enemies. He has interactions with governments and major opposition or major Satan-like forces. But do not worry because we have His anointing and power. Saints, this is exactly what is happening here in Luke 10. They have His anointing and power to reflect Him and they are causing Satan's dominion to fall. When you're considering this, it went on to say that we must... Rejoice that we have what we need and that our names are written in heaven. Thanks, That was spoken to our body by a prophetic message. What is happening in Luke 10 is what God is calling us to. Another one said, walk in my presence and anointing. Because he is making you his warrior and his right hand. And you will bring his kingdom. Our God is like a commander speaking to his troops. He's showing us what it looks like to operate in his salvation power that is crushing the serpent and saving mankind. One of the last ones that we wanted to look at said, go forth and fight. Go forth and fight for your wives, your children, your families, and for the holiness of God. He has prepared opposition in advance. Have you considered that the same God who made the snake made Adam and Eve. He has prepared in advance the opposition because he intends for it to be crushed under our feet. He has armed our right hands and clothed us in strength. Saints, I think our great king is trying to tell us something. Are you getting the message tonight? Do you hear what he is saying? Do you feel God's rallying cry to you? All right, I'm not going to accept five of you. Do you feel God's call to you that you must man up and go to war in this house? You hear me in the back? Bottom, do you feel God's call to go to war? Come on, blood hammer! What a thing it is to not just read about Luke 10, to not just know that God wants all Christians everywhere to walk out Luke 10, but to have him prophesy to you, LCN, saying, I will use you to drive out Satan's dominion. Thanks. it's time that we stand up as the saviors he has called us to be. Speaking of, we just read four passages.
1: We want to go over those four passages because in those passages, Jesus was saying and doing something. But there's something more to those passages for us tonight. In Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, it's you who are called to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's you who are called to proclaim also the day of vengeance of our God. We must do both to proclaim a clear salvation call. In Matthew 10, it's you who are in the business of saving those who acknowledge him, but fighting and defending against those who stand in the way of his salvation. In Matthew chapter 12, it's you who are responsible for seeing the helpless and captive that in captivity that people are under by first binding the strong man. Driving out in them what does not belong so that you can accomplish your ultimate goal of bringing them salvation and healing and the kingdom of light. Come on. And then in Luke chapter 10, it is you who are the one trampling on snakes and scorpions. It is you who are the one seeing Satan fall like lightning. It is you who are the one rejoicing in the salvation that you're participating in. A salvation that both rescues and crushes the serpent's dominion. Somebody
0: say, I, I have, have a, a Savior, savior complex. complex. See, we do have a Savior complex. And unlike so many things that you cannot blame on your parents, this is something we can blame them on our Father. See, we have a Savior complex because our God has a Savior complex. Saints, the environment, the culture, this corrupt world that we all grew up in, It has a corrupted view of fighting, of warfare, and what real salvation is. We want you to consider God himself. He saved Israel during the Exodus, and he drowned the Egyptians at the same time. This is Exodus 14, verse 30. It actually says that Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Not don't look, little children. Uh, He wanted them to see his vengeance along with his rescuing. See, This whole process together is salvation as God defines it. God saved Israel during the time frame of the judges. This is men like Samson, men like Gideon. Time and time again, he destroyed their enemies who had captured them. These were simultaneous events. He destroyed those who were oppressing them with their sinful acts. God defines this whole process as salvation in the law, in the prophets and throughout the Bible as God saved Israel in the time of
1: Mordecai and Esther we just did a huge study on it and he directed them to kill and hang Haman's sons at the same time it wouldn't be salvation without it that's not all he also directed them to strike down all their enemies with the sword see that is what holistic salvation looks like the whole process is salvation as God defines it. And we're not allowed to pick and choose the aspects that we like and the aspects that we don't like. Guys, in the future, God will save Israel again in a very similar way. Yes, he will. When all the nations of the earth come to fight and come to destroy little Israel, God will slay them all, and he will rejoice over his people in their great victory together. This is the whole, the holistic process of salvation as God chooses to define it.
0: Now, if you haven't noticed, it's 30 minutes in, and we could obviously go on and on and on talking about this because it's rife in the Bible. It is the story of the Bible, and we love it. But what we want to direct you towards more than just how God is this multifaceted Savior Our point, what we must reach, what we have to know that we get to with each other, is for you to be able to teach your sons how to be small S saviors. Small S saviors. Just like the big S savior, Jesus Christ. Now, to be able to do that, in order to accomplish this task, because we're not just fighting for now, we're fighting for the arsenal that we want to give them. We have to be able to understand God's salvation, to be able to hold firmly to it, to have a conviction about it, knowing that this world is at war with it. We want to talk to you about a few pseudo-saviors that exist in the church world and that exist in this very room. After all, Matthew 12, 28, which we read, says, unless he first ties up the strong man, so to speak... If we want to become the saviors that we must be, we have to understand the strong man that is resisting your ability to be the savior God has called you to be. Do we want it? This is necessary to accurately reflect our father as savior. We must understand the strong competing influences in each of our own lives and that we have to be able to grow into the savior complex that our God has and not accept anything else.
1: You see... We all have an incomplete savior complex in this room, and we're going to correct it. We're going to start correcting it tonight. Let's talk about, for example, the feminine pseudo-savior model. We're talking specifically about the Hollywood pagan lie. It's so easy to watch savior-like movies that have components of saviors in them, that Hollywood expands... And shows you one aspect of salvation that you celebrate and you clap over and say, man, that is a complete view of salvation. That's what it looks like right there. That's a great reflection of God. You know, that should be in the Bible. That story's that good. Guys, this Hollywood pseudo-savior model, it's characterized by the biological male. And even today, man, isn't that getting skewed? But the biological male who believes himself to be a man because he is the regular instrument for defending or for saving a damsel the offended woman we're talking about here is the damsel or the uncomfortable woman or even the misunderstood wife i mean the misunderstood woman is the one that this manly savior is going to save
0: yeah we're going to develop this a little bit that damsel in distress, man, that sinfully offended woman, that uncomfortable woman, that misunderstood situation. Biological males who have fallen for this pseudo model are always characterized by a poor connection and poor sense of security with the Father. This is often evident even late into life while real progress has been made in other areas. As a result of this break in the connection with the Father, They do not possess or understand dominion as it extends from the throne of God, even if we teach on it for hours and hours. They seek only to serve their wives, children, and the people that they should be leading. This break in connection with the throne, with the Father from whom masculinity flows, means that they are unable to properly define dominion and the love and service that result from that dominion.
1: Wow. So what happens from here is that it furthers and this break in connection and the lack of dominion, it continues to foment insecurity as they are incapable of real cultivation that by definition requires hard pressing and tender words. It requires both. This kind of work does not produce the adoration of a feminine pseudo savior model. Listen to this, church. Being a biblical savior requires that your affirmation come from the one whom your dominion extends and
0: nowhere else. Come on. The worst part of all of this, this self-fulfilling process, self-fulfilling prophecy, of cyclical insecurity, well, it drives a man to seek to derive their masculinity through the approval and adoration of women or other effeminate women like men who share the same sympathies and the same problems. This false masculinity is often derived from a prospective spouse, someone you wish to marry, or a wife in a current marriage covenant, or another familial connection like a mother or a parent. The biblical model of a savior extends from God and his dominion. Do you remember the four cups from Exodus 6? Anybody in the room? Yeah, I do. One of the first promises, I will bring you out. God promises that he will bring you out from any other authority besides the one that he apportions. God does not just deliver from the immediate peril of Pharaoh. He crushes Pharaoh and frees his people from the power of Pharaoh's authority in their lives. The next cup is I will free you.
1: Guys, he doesn't just
0: free them from Pharaoh's
1: authority. No, it's not just that. He also empowers them by joining them to himself in new power over the previous ways of Pharaoh that they were trying to bring with them.
0: He goes on to promise and say, I will redeem you. He doesn't just empower them. He redeems the way that they think. Transforming them by his sacrifice into something entirely new in free, in the internal areas, the areas within that were held captive in the past.
1: The fourth cup, take you to be with me. He brings them into a whole new life, a whole
0: new plane. He brings them higher. He brings them with him. So to be frank, including us on the stage, to one extent or another, every single man in this room has been affected by the unbiblical, pagan, feminine pseudo form of saviors the idea that it is noble for a man to simply rescue a woman in distress or emotional distress or offense of any kind or uncomfortable circumstances or from the work that she is called to do it's so hard it's so hard husband I'll just do it I'll save you this is completely unbiblical biblical and truly noble saviors extend from dominion and cultivation in its truest form that is you rescue from adversaries without and the sinful adversaries within you crush the source of the problem not just fix the situation as matthew 12:28 says the strong man must be tied up guys the feminine pseudo
1: hollywood salvation model. It just simply attempts to fix the situation, but it does not actually crush the source of why that situation occurred. It doesn't get down into the depths, doesn't get down into the foundation of why we're in this situation. It just simply rescues on the surface and then the same problem is allowed to continue to fester and to grow and to get bigger and bigger and bigger until it consumes the one that it's a part of. But Proverbs 19.19, we're going to find an incredible solution. It says, a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. As many of you are in a cycle. You're playing that Hollywood feminine savior. You're just quieting your wife's emotions. No, babe. Just, no, 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 no. You're, you're taking on even vicarious offenses for others in the church. Ooh, I didn't like the way that that interaction occurred. I'm offended for you.
0: How would I feel if I were corrected that way?
1: Yeah. No, 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 no. This is what happens when you have the feminine pseudo-savior model. But it's, it's in the failure to crush the adversary that lies in you and in them, and it never, ever works. Guys, there is nothing noble about being manipulated by demonic, offense spurring forces. There is nothing masculine about being manipulated by your own insecurities into serving the fleshly and insecure nature of a woman. Listen, biblical salvation does not just alleviate the distress, it doesn't just alleviate the stress that you're feeling of the situation. No, biblical salvation cures the source, whether it be from within or it be from without. A savior cures the source of the issue.
0: To make sure we're getting where we want to be, because we're talking about a topic that I assure you is different than how you've previously thought about salvation. We're speaking about from within and without, but we're going to start from without because it's easier for us to get. So you come home. And there is a man trying to break into the house, has ill intentions towards your wife, towards your daughter. Answer me honestly, men. Do you stop just by preventing him entering the house? Or do you intend to do more than just rescuing the situation? More. What if three days go by and the same man is lurking around your house as you come home from work? What is beginning to stir inside of you?
1: He might not make it home.
0: Are you interested in just rescuing the moment of distress? Are you interested in curing the source of the distress? See, we work in Houston on a regular basis. Every once in a while, there's a homeless guy that is just hell-bent on stealing tools. There's usually a once warning shot that is, uh, hey, my friend, you got caught doing this. You're never gonna do this again, leave now. If you're seen past that point in time, we will use all necessary force to drive you from the property from the street, from the surrounding neighborhood until you are no longer visible within any reason or sight. It's a lot easier for us when we're talking about a man who wants to harm your family, who wants to steal from you, to understand that it's not enough for you just to rescue in the moment, but you must cure the source of the problem. What is a whole lot harder for us to get down into is the way God has called every man in this room to be a savior within Listen, after all, what we just read was Proverbs 19.19. I'm going to read it to you again. It defines this kind of pseudo-salvation, and you just haven't noticed it before. A hot-tempered man must. Somebody say, must. Must. Pay the penalty. The temper must be penalized. It must be crushed. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. See, the act of Hollywood saving, the act of pseudo-saving, the act of, I'm here to defend this emotional moment and make you feel better. Calm down, mister, is not salvation as God defines it. To save a man and turn him back from sin is not just to cool the temper. It is to crush the sin within. Otherwise, you will have to do it again. See, real salvation is a cure. Real salvation ushers you into a new plane. Real salvation looks like God rescuing His people, taking them out of Egypt and getting rid of Pharaoh. What we want to do in this room is teach you to rise in this kind of salvation. Teach you to rise above the things that have perpetually haunted you and your family and be the Savior that He's called you to be. Rescuing the situation and demanding that Pharaoh be crushed wherever he is found. We are men and we do have a savior complex. We're learning to have a complete complex, one that reflects our Father. We will look like real saviors, just like Exodus 6. Guys, see these five
1: attributes that we've been studying and preaching on, they always build on one another. When you attempt to be a savior without dominion or without cultivation, it actually makes you into an enabler. Not a savior, an enabler. You are enabling sin to prevail because we're not just addressing the sin. We are going to crush the sin. We're not just there to smooth over the emotions that are out of line. We are there to get to the very core of the issue and crush it. We've got some examples for you about some examples from the word with men that did not build to be saviors, but they just tried to do it without taking dominion and without cultivating. I want you to think about Adam. Think about Adam in the garden for a moment. When the sin is not crushed with his wife, what did it lead to? Well, it led to participating in the eating of sin together with his wife. That's called being an enabler, not a savior, man. What about Aaron? What about with that little golden calf incident in Exodus? When the sin is not crushed, this leads to even maybe being an advocate for the very sin that you're called to crush in someone else. Think about Eli and his sons for a moment.
0: This is the worst one.
1: When the sin is not crushed, when you chastise them, don't do that. Instead of rescuing and crushing the sin that you find in them, This leads to a next generation developing into men who believe that simply by being rescued or rescuing others, that's all that's required of them. And the sin is allowed to remain and fester and grow as time goes by. You can't imagine what this actually produces in that next generation. It's not a holistic view of God's salvation. No, it's more like that pseudo-Hollywood feminine version.
0: This could go on and on all evening, and we will not continue to list examples, but simply reflect on the life of Samson, saved in the very physical sense, on the outward level in every way, the destruction of a lion, the destruction of the Philistines, and he is rescued and he lives. But what happened on an internal level over and over again? Internally, he was rescued from his sinful condition that put him in places he should not have been, But the dominion of darkness that was continuing to put him there was not crushed. It's one thing to pull an oxen out of a ditch. I'm thankful for men who are willing to do that in this house. We would like for you to go ahead and fill in the pit so that we don't have to keep repeating the process. We want to be very clear. We save from evil. We do not save from development. And we need to learn to distinguish between the two. We save from mortal injury or peril. We do not save from hardship that produces a harvest of righteousness. We must firmly grasp dominion within our sphere of influence and be actively engaged in cultivation to be a real savior. Any other route will leave you feeling like a Hollywood champ. Man, I fixed that situation. But in reality, you would just be a feminine chump as a tool for sin. To this, we each have a God ordained responsibility. One that likewise we each have a God ordained responsibility to engage in being true saviors, one to another against our enemies. Saints, if we're going to be an army, this is, doesn't just go for one household. That's right. This goes for how we fight to save one another. Amen. We will march as an army of the living God, and we must take stock of the areas. That we've not understood the mission.
1: Turn with us to Judges chapter 5. And as you're turning there, say, I have a Savior complex. I have a
0: Savior complex. complex.
1: Judges 5 verse 15 says, The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. I want to highlight something in this passage because Judges 5 is praising some of the tribes that rushed in to help their brothers and uh, highlighting other tribes that did not. They, they had maybe partly this Savior down, but not a whole Savior complex like they needed to. Guys, for us tonight, we're often more than willing to jump in our truck, go help a brother in need, get a call early in the morning, man I got a flat tire, man this is happening in my house, man I got this emergency, no problem brother, I'm just gonna hop in my car and I'll be right over. All of us are willing to do that, in fact we live for the opportunity to do that for one another, don't we? Yeah. We fail though, time and time again, when the actual enemy of sin is lurking on our brother's doorstep and we cower when we see it instead of confronting it and crushing it. See, that's only half the story. It's only half the story to get the phone call and to rush in to rescue. The other half of the story is to see the serpent's ugly head in your brother or around your brother and to cower instead of moving forward to crush. Being a savior means rushing in to rescue and being a serpent crusher for him when you see sin lurking around them or in them.
0: Saints, can you hear we're calling you to battle tonight? That we're calling you to a new level of salvation? That we're learning what it is to preach a real message of salvation? We will see the adversary put underfoot on an external level and an internal level. And it will be because we both rescue and we crush the source of the problem. The passage is going to go on. In verse 23, it says, Curse Moraz," said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Saints, there is a curse that falls on men, not for fighting and failing. There's a curse that falls on men, not for being unable to complete the task, but for being unwilling to attempt it. It's so on an internal and an external level. We have to summon the courage to say what I have is at the disposal of the Lord. Whether I'm entirely right, whether I succeed, I will die in the effort to save what is right because it's within my domain and I am bent on cultivating it. We have a few slides that are going to help give us a little more background as to why this curse falls upon those who refuse to participate in this fight. This comes from Fawcett. You can see in the highlighted section here, we'll pick up in the beginning. A village on the confines of Issachar and Naphtali. Those are the tribes that you heard, which lay in the course of the fugitives. But the inhabitants declined to aid in their destruction. Who are the fugitives in Judges 5? Sisera and his armies are fleeing. The ground of this anathema was that the whole body of Israelites, holding the tenor of their lands on condition of military service, were bound when called upon to appear on the field as the national militia in defense or furtherance of the public interest. So to put that in plain speech, when the enemies of God were fleeing, they fleed through Maraz. They fleed through Issachar and Naphtali. And Fawcett's is saying that they allowed the fugitives to pass by their midst and even then did not seek to destroy them when every one of them were bound to the defense of their brothers, to an eternal bond for the national interest of those that were around them. Saints, we want to tell you tonight that we are bound to our God-ordained responsibility. Our God-ordained responsibility to be the saviors we are called to be, the rescuing and serpent-crushing force for every other family, every other brother in this room and that we will not let fugitives escape our grasp any longer.
1: We have another slide for you from Fawcett's as well. Man, it comes right out and explicitly dictates where God's favor lies, as well as what the real sin was of these pseudo-saviors. Look at the highlighted portion. They gave asylum to the fleeing Canaanites, accursed of God. Whereas Jael, who slew their general is blessed. Their sin was omission, faint-heartedness, neutrality, where there can be no real neutrality. You gotta pick a side in this house tonight. They neglected the duty of coming to Israel's help in the struggle against God's foes. Guys, omission can be one of our greatest sins. Our own faint heartedness. Our own desire to be neutral in a situation. To just deal with the surface level of it. When there can be no neutrality in God's house. Seeing the serpent advance and turning your head. Pretending like you just didn't see it. He who is not gathering with our king is scattering. When you bury what he's given you in the ground your God-ordained responsibilities to this house, then even what you have will be taken from you and given to others who refuse to stand by while their brothers fight to be rescuers and serpent crushers in his house tonight. Guys, we want to show you a video. Because when we started putting this message together, we looked around and we saw something special in our sons happening around our living room. Get him benaiah get him with that knife shoot him son get those bad guys
0: saints you see it's bound up in the heart of a man from the time that you're a child you want to play with weapons you want to play with weapons so that you can save you want to be the knight in shining armor you were made to reflect God in his image, which is why we have to train our sons in the same manner. What we've been getting at for several minutes now along the lines of omissions is that it is very easy to be the white knight, to be the rescuer. Everybody likes being rescued. The reality is to accurately reflect the father requires you to crush the source of the problem. And most of the time in the Christian walk, nobody actually wants the source crushed. They just want to be rescued. See, what we're involved in as a church is elevating our masculinity, elevating our reflection of the Father. We can no longer allow corrupting and poisonous views to affect the way that we view salvation. We're not simply rescuers who will have to do it again. We are saviors in the image of our Father. We are done with flaccid and flimsy versions. We have also, in areas, allowed things to creep into our children through media and our own lack of understanding. Things like, son, don't touch that pencil. It might stab you. Things like, son, don't run on the concrete. You might fall down. Things like, son, don't be rambunctious. Someone just might lose an eyelash or get offended by your behavior. These things are pushing in all around us, and it is at war with godly masculinity. We are raising up a generation of men. And the generation all around us has no idea how to relate to God's salvation as both a rescuer and a serpent crusher. We say today to now, we must and we will begin fixing this by fixing our view and demonstrating it for one another. It is absolutely essential for our boys to play with things like wooden swords and plastic guns and learn what it is to be a rescuer and a crusher so that they can reflect the image of God. They will learn it from us as they see you do it with your brothers. They will learn it from us as they see you do it with your family. We must correct this pansy, pacifistic problem that is perpetuated in our world around us because our king and our faith is not pacifistic, and it doesn't stop short by only sticking to the rescuing that is nice. The peace that will be ushered in by our great prince, it is a peace that will be purchased with blood, and it will no longer be the blood of the lamb. We, as his followers, must learn to embrace this coming reality in our present day, in our present circumstances, by teaching our sons By teaching our disciples, showing them these foundations of manhood, what it looks like to represent God so that they know how to. We must groom them to be ready to fight because our God is speaking to us about a great war that is coming in our day. And I assure you, it will not be less in theirs. When we choose now to correct these pseudo-saviors and display both a rescuing and serpent-crushing force, We can have confidence that what is sitting on this front row will be a generation of saviors that will stand at the end of days. Man,
1: the savior complex is getting right in this room here tonight. Turn with us to 2 Samuel 22 together as we near a close. We're going to rest on verse 36.
0: Notice we were in this passage earlier.
1: We're coming back around to 2 Samuel 22.
0: Verse 36 says, You
1: gave me your shield of victory. You stooped down to make me great. You broadened the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. Woo, look at verse 38 with us. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back until they were destroyed. Guys, early on in 2 Samuel 23, we saw God expressing his salvation, a rescuing and a crushing to David. And now we see David as the very embodiment of God's holistic salvation on the earth. And this is what we are called to as well, saints. Guys, David saying, I didn't just pursue, I didn't just rescue, I went and I crushed them. In fact, I did whatever it took to make sure that they were crushed into the ground, never to rise again. I am a serpent crusher, just like my father and just like my savior.
0: Well, in verse 39 continues. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You, as in you, Lord, you armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. Saints, I'm telling you tonight that I believe God wants to arm these men, that he wants to strengthen you for battle, that there are adversaries that have risen again and again in your life and in this house, that it is time for them to bow beneath your feet as God crushes them. Verse 41 says, you made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. So their flight didn't work. He found them, and he destroyed them. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord! But he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. See, David was rescued, and his enemy was crushed. David knew what it was to experience real salvation. David is reflecting God, and he taught others to do the same. He raised up mighty men. He was a king and a shepherd and an example of what it looks like to be a savior. He raised up men who did the same for Israel after his time. David displayed a kind of holy tenacity that is required to be a savior. He didn't stop just with rescuing. He crushed the enemy and then carried its head around. He crushed them into the dust, into the mud. He taught the people how to do this. Saints, this evening we're asking you to take stock of the areas that you've stopped short by rescuing so that we can stand together and ask God to arm us with strength, that we might enforce His salvation. That we might preach it, that we might live it, that we might declare it before the earth. Nehemiah four fourteen, verse th- four, verse thirteen and fourteen is where we're going to close. It says therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. We're asking families in this room to take your stand. Will the Moloch stand up for us? Would the Hebron household stand up for us? Would the Sosas stand up for us? Would the Robinsons stand up for us? How about the Huns? Will you stand with us? Would the Ruedas and the Zachary stand with us? Would the Hall stand with us? The rest of you in between, take your stand as well. Tonight we are posting by families. We're posting by families in the lowest points of the wall. Starting with the areas in our own defenses that we know are exposed, that we know we've had to rescue many times, that a pastor or a brother has had to rescue many times, but the source of the problem has never been crushed. Like perpetual offense between brothers. We're done rescuing that. Today we are crushing that. Today we are taking up swords, spears, bows, all manner of weaponry with no consideration for whether or not it's dignified. We are far less concerned with whether you succeed in the fight that you engage in than that you give it your all and give God the opportunity to strengthen you in it. After I looked things over, I stood up. And said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is a room filled with noble men. This is a room filled with officials. This is a room filled with the people of God. This is my family since I was a child sitting up here. Since we're calling to you tonight and saying it is time for us to fight. It's time for us to recognize that we cannot just continue rescuing situations that we must still rescue, but crush the adversary. Yeah. We're not on border patrol. We're those that God has called to conquer, to advance. And he is specifically speaking to us in these days about the conquest that he has, not for the Christian world, but that he has for this body, for the Powells, for the Makowitz, for those that are around us. Saints, we have a choice now as to what kind of model we want to leave for sons and disciples. We have a choice now to teach them what it is to be saviors, that are strong, that are sacrificial, that are courageous, that are not particularly concerned with whether it's nice or it's agreeable, but are far more concerned with actually saving the situation. Saints, that's how you raise up elders, men who have in mind what saves in every situation. My brother's going to pray. I'm asking you to pray with him as families that are posted. You are a LCM. Our God has spoken to us and this matter is in our hands. Tonight we decide that we will respond to his call and we are going to advance. We will not shrink back.
1: Church, tonight we're going to be saviors like God is our Savior. A holistic Savior that is able to rescue us and is able to crush inside of us what does not belong. Tonight we are going to be saviors for our wives. We're going to be saviors for our children. We're going to be saviors for our brothers. We are going to be holistic saviors because that is what God is. Raise your hands and pray with me tonight. Father, thank you. Thank you, mighty God, for your unending character, your perfect savior in our lives, Lord God. Thank you for teaching us how to do it, mighty king. Tonight we take our stand and say, no more neglecting the areas that must be crushed. No more dealing with surface level issues, mighty God. We go for the core tonight, mighty God. Thank you for showing us what these are. Thank you for showing us how to do it, Lord. No more failing to try, mighty God. We go after it with all of our hearts and we trust you for the empowerment and the increase, Lord. Save us now, mighty God.